0: Now, hopefully when you walked in, you will have got your discipleship books. So week one, we're now week two of having those. Feel free to keep on taking notes. It really does help you to uh, learn and to keep track of where we're going in this series. So if you've forgotten to bring yours, a reminder for next week. And you can take notes on your phones, no doubt. All right, now just quickly, it was pointed out to me by everyone over 60 at this church last week that I got Sennacherib's name wrong. Uh, (laughs) I said Sennacherib when it should have been Sennacherib. My pronunciation knowledge of uh, Assyrian royal names of the 7th century BC are a little bit lacking. I did my studies in Babylonian royal names. So my apologies for that. I'm glad we can clear it up. I just don't think Sennacherib sounds as nice as Senacherib. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. But then again, he wasn't a very nice guy, and it doesn't end well for him today. All right. So I said last week we'd look in more detail at the story of King Hezekiah, and so today we're going to be in chapters 36 to 39 of the Book of Isaiah. And on the Bible Project, guys, very helpful schematic, you can kind of see we're almost at halfway in the book. So there's a big hinge point that's gonna happen. Um, we're at an interesting point in the book of Isaiah, because the first, first 35 chapters um, are written in the prophetic tradition. So a lot of Hebrew poetry, um, a very kind of distinct prophetic style. And then, right in the middle of Isaiah, we get four chapters of historical events. Um, And they line up with the historical narrative of 2 Kings 18 to 19. In fact, it's almost a copy and paste. So you weren't the first to do that at university. They've been doing that for thousands of years. And then next week, we launch back into the prophetic style of Isaiah. But actually, what we're going to see from next week is it launches forward about 150 years to the people going to exile that then come back and Isaiah is writing to the people returning from exile. So these chapters that we're going to look at today kind of act as a hinge in the book. Up until today, we've been dealing with the threat of the Assyrian Empire who have been pressing down onto the southern kingdom of Judah. After having already wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's all about God's judgment on the people of God for not keeping covenant, right? They've not been faithful to what God called them to do. So they haven't had concern for the poor, okay? They haven't acted justly, they haven't worshipped with their hearts. They have taken on the surrounding nations' idols and so on. But then also we get these promises uh, in those first 35 chapters of Isaiah about a child who will be born, who will come into the world, who will reign on David's throne and will in one sense be true Israel, right? He'll be the one who fulfills all of the promises of what the people of God were meant to be but continue to fail to do throughout their history. And all the nations will rally to this child who will be the light and the glory of God. So it all comes to a head this week. Uh, The question from last week is who will the people of God put their trust in? Uh, Will they just put their trust in their own strength to fight off the Assyrian threat? Will they make an alliance with Egypt? Or will they just surrender to the might of the Assyrian army that is encamped around Jerusalem? Or will they stand firm and trust God to deliver them? So we'll get to that story in just a moment. I want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I want us to consider how do we also, yeah, different situation to having an army camped outside the door, but how do we as Christians in the spiritual realm stand firm? Um, how do we, trust God in the face of maybe opposition that we have against our own faith. So I'm going to do that by overlapping a little bit of what Jesus said about persecution and what Paul says about standing firm. And then I want to spend a little bit of time considering what it means to trust God when we are mocked for our faith or pressured to give in to the world's around us attacks on us. Is that okay? All right. That's what we're going to do today. So let's pick up Isaiah 36 from verse 1. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lapchis to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. From verse 13, then the commander stood, he called out in Hebrew, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 16, do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern. Until I come and I will take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hands of the king of Assyria? Verse 20. Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So the field commander of the Assyrian army, he comes to the walls of Jerusalem, fresh off many victories, and he threatens... And he mocks the people of God. I know that the threat is very real. They are an unbeatable army with a proven track record of crushing resistance. I know he mocks God and he mocks King Hezekiah. Verse 14, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. And I know that part of the mocking is a mimicking of God and the tempting of his people to surrender. They are offered by the Assyrians peace and food and vineyards if they surrender to the Assyrian army. So that's the state of affairs and it looks pretty bleak. Now of course today as the people of God there are those who still face very serious persecution. Uh, and I really can't speak to that, right, because I don't think really anyone in this church could talk about facing the kind of persecution that many of our brothers and sisters around the world today are actually facing. Being a Christian in places like China and the Middle East can still get you imprisoned and even killed. And of course we pause, don't we, for the for the church in Afghanistan that was just beginning to take off in the last few years and has now been driven deeply, deeply underground by what has occurred over there. But I do note as well that even here in prosperous, free countries like Australia, we face a mocking of our faith and at times an attempt to squeeze us out of the public square. And of course, Christianity has always had its detractors. Uh, The 18th century philosopher Voltaire, uh, who was a big critic of Christianity. He said, within 100 years, the Bible will be obsolete and will got, have gone out of circulation altogether. <laughs> the Bible's never been more popular around the world than it is today. But there are, of course, many modern day mockers. People like, I know, people like Peter Fitzsimons in the Sydney Morning Herald. Every attempt he gets to mock Christians, he will take that opportunity writing for the sydney morning herald and he'll he'll go at our beliefs and the church and just christianity in general in matthew 5 10 to 12 jesus said in the sermon on the mount blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Now, it's worth noting here that there is a difference between being persecuted because of righteousness and standing up for Jesus, and being persecuted because you're being an obnoxious moron. Right? We've, we've got to be careful that we're not just getting persecuted because we're being pained in the asses. alright? But we need to beware of persecution complex. Uh, particularly, as I said, there are people in the world today who will be gathering for church underground who face very, very real threats of persecution. But that said, undoubtedly, even in my life, I have seen the church in my 40 years go from being respected, to being tolerated, to in some places being seen as what is wrong in society today, right? I've seen that shift happen even in my lifetime. So in many fields, the mocking and the tempting out of standing firm like King Hezekiah is very real, particularly I think in some professions that you guys are in. So I wanna show a quick video of one of my heroes, a guy called Professor John Lennox. Does anyone know Professor John Lennox? Um, He's a great great apologist. He is a professor of mathematics at Oxford University and a wonderful Christian thinker. So here are your accounts, an early attempt where he was trying to be persuaded to give up his faith. When you were at Cambridge,
1: there's uh, an interesting incident that took place when some of your lecturers took you aside into a private room. To persuade you to give up your faith. We had dinners and something very nice at college, and I found myself seated next to this Nobel Prize winner. And being the kind of person that's interested in learning from other people, I started to discuss with him what it meant to him, his research and his success. And then I brought in the following question I said, did any of your researches ever lead you to think that there might be an intelligence behind the universe? Well, he bristled. And it obviously was not something I could pursue. So I dropped it in good Cambridge gentility and thought that was the end of it. He turned to his neighbour. But at the end of the meeting, he said, let it come to my room. And I could tell by its tone, it wasn't an invitation, it was a command. I went to his room and he invited several other senior people from the university. There were no undergraduates, no students, a couple of professors, I don't remember perhaps four of us at all, and he sat me down, and as far as I can remember, it's a long time ago now, he said, Lennox, do you want a career in science? And I said, yes, sir. Well, he said, then you need to give up this naive faith in God. It will cripple you intellectually. You will suffer by comparison with your peers. You will never make it. Talk about pressure. I've never met a Nobel Prize winner before. And here he was browbeating me, force trying to get me to renege on my faith in Christ. How did you respond? Well, I responded by uttering a silent prayer. And then I said to him, Sir, tell me. What have you got to offer me that's better than what I actually have? Oh, he said the philosophy of Amy so <laughs> And I had read about the philosophy of Amy Bertsel through C.S. Lewis. And I knew a bit about it. Actually, Bertsel was a very poor choice because later in life he confessed he might even have become a Christian or some kind. But I said, if that's all you've got to offer. I'm going to take the risk. And I got up and walked out. Now, it was a terrifying incident, but it put steel into my heart. And I remember resolving that if ever I was in his position, or near to it, then I would not attempt to brownie people into Christianity. And I reflected on it many times since. If he had been a Christian, and I'd been an atheist, and he'd done the same kind of thing to force me into Christianity. He probably lost his job the next day, you see. It was a, a terrible insight, in a way, into the dark side of academia. Yes. And I resolved then that if ever I had any kind of influence as an academic, I'm going to have open discussion, open debate, and let people make up their own mind.
0: Isn't Lennox great? Of course, he did go to a little bit of influence, becoming Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University. All right, we'll come back to Lennox again later. So let's go to Isaiah 37. What is King Hezekiah's response to the mocking threats of the field commander of the mighty Assyrian army? Verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, this is the day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country. And I'll have him cut down with the sword. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, verse 14, and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherub, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Verse 20. Now Lord our God deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you Lord are the only God. So in response to all of these threats King Hezekiah sends for Isaiah. He prays to God for the people of God to be delivered as they trust in him. I note As he comes under attack, he humbles himself. I note that he seeks out wise counsel in the figure of the prophet Isaiah for guidance and wisdom and reassurance. And finally, I note that he prays to trust God to deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. So we see humility, we see wise counsel, and we see dependent prayer. And I wonder for us, as we may come under attack in our faith, if there is a model there for what we are to do when we feel pressure to renounce what we believe in. Firstly, humility. And while you may not tear your clothes and put on sackcloth, you may, I wonder if there is a posture there that God requires of His people. Sometimes when we are mocked for our faith, or people pose serious questions about what we believe, it doesn't hurt to just go in humility before God. It's okay to say, yeah, you know what, there are things I don't understand, or there are things that I find difficult to believe, or that I find challenging. It is okay to say that on my own strength or wisdom, I do not not have all of the answers. I know that John Lennox stopped and in that moment of pressure said a quiet prayer. Secondly, after humility, Hezekiah seeks wisdom and counsel from Isaiah. Rather than suffering alone or trying to make it up in his own strength, he goes to a mighty man of God to seek wisdom. And what Isaiah says to him as a prophet is deeply reassuring. In the same way that the Word of God can be deeply reassuring for us and wise counsel can be a source of major strength to us in our faith. And that's kind of the way it's always worked in the Christian faith. Faith is passed down through the generations through wisely wise counsel and godly leadership. One of the most profound moments of my education at Regent College was sitting in a class with J.I. Packer. Uh, I was very fortunate to have the great theologian uh, as my systematic theology teacher at Regent College. And I remember in one of the lectures, J.I. Packer talking about being at Oxford University in the late 1940s and going to listen to the lectures of C.S. Lewis. Isn't that cool? And that's kind of how the faith gets passed down throughout the generation, through wise counsel. So seek wisdom. Back to John Lennox, who as a professor of maths at Oxford University, has become a great apologist for the Christian faith. He has famously debated atheists like Richard Dawkins and Peter Singer. And he has defended the Christian faith against their mocking. And I know that in that video he referenced being helped by the writings of C.S. Lewis too. Now for anyone who, he, who, who may not have heard of C.S. Lewis, obviously he was the author of the Narnia Christian books, but he was also another professor at Oxford University. There's a theme today. And he wrote some of the classic defences of the Christian faith, like Mere Christianity and the biographical surprise by Joy. And if you have done the Alpha course, the first three weeks of Alpha by Nicky Gumbel is basically based on C.S. Lewis's rationale and defense of the Christian faith. Jesus, mad, bad, or who he said he was. Anyone. So let me encourage you, seek wisdom and godly counsel when you feel like your faith may be coming under attack. If you feel pressured or attacked or if you have big questions, I can assure you that you are probably not the first person to ask those questions about the faith. And I remember as a young man devouring the writings of Philip Yancey and Tom Wright. Just reading the Gospels, reading the book of Acts, getting the word of God and faith deep within me. All right, final thing today. How does it all work out for the people of God and King Hezekiah? Isaiah 37. Verse 21. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. Verse 23. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. And so by your messengers you have ridiculed the Lord. Verse 28. But I know where you are, when you come and go, how you rage against me. Because you rage against me, because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth, and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. Verse 31. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below, bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. From there, we read that the king of Assyria is warned by God that he will not touch Jerusalem. Instead, God will defend and save the people of God and his holy city next we read that God brings judgment on the evil Assyrian army bringing death into their camp and King Sennacherib is killed by his own sons and so the threat of the Assyrian invasion that we've been talking about in the last five weeks is thus defeated and indeed this entire section of Isaiah and this chapter in the people of God's history comes to a close and so Hezekiah has trusted God. He has stood firm and the people of God have been delivered by Yahweh's mighty hand. And I note in the book of 2 Kings eighteen five to 7 that this is how King Hezekiah and his life is recorded. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord, and he did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. Well, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't know if you and I will ever face quite the same threats as the people of God as recorded in 2 Kings 18 and 19 and Isaiah 36 to 37. And I think sometimes what happens militarily in the Old Testament becomes more true in the spiritual sense in the realm in the New Testament. I might say some more on that in coming weeks. But I do know that Jesus calls us to be faithful. He calls us to trust the Lord our God and to be obedient to him and to love him with our hearts, minds and soul and strength. In the same way that Hezekiah trusted God, stood firm and was considered great amongst the kings of Judah, we too are called in our day and age to stand firm in the faith and to fight the good fight. Again, I can't help but think of John Lennox. I know his life may look very different to ours. What he has faced may well be very different to what we will face. But as an older saint in the Christian Christian faith who's coming into retirement, he has used his life to faithfully trust the Lord and to defend the faith against attacks. And against attacks that a professor of mathematics at the most distinguished university in the world surely cannot have faith. He has been a defender. He has been a trustworthy servant of the Lord and a great leader and a help to many with his defences of the Christian faith. And what I love about Lennox, he has done that all the while being humble, being articulate and being a kind man of God let me leave you with three verses that I hope will be true in your life and in my life certainly true of King Hezekiah certainly true of a man like John Lennox first Matthew 25-23 well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful come and share your master's happiness secondly Galatians 5-1 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free so stand firm then And finally, Colossians 1.10, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good way. Amen. 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 May that be said of our lives. Why don't we stand together? What we're going to do, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward now. We're going to have some prayer during this last song. So if you're in the prayer team, we would like to come forward? Just as we begin to worship, so let me encourage you today, if you'd like someone just to stand with you, that you might be strengthened in your faith, let me encourage you to come forward during this song, and these guys would love to pray with you. They'll also be available at the end of the service. But as we start to sing, feel free to come forward. But why don't we all pray together? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for these giants of the faith who've stood firm in the face of opposition. We thank you for wise and godly counsel. Father thank you that when we stand firm and trust you we see you move in powerful ways and so we pray that you come by your Holy Spirit right now and strengthen us in our faith come Holy Spirit Just like John Lennox, would you put some steel into our backbones to stand up for our faith? Strengthen us, Lord God. God. We just say we need you. You are the one who delivers us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's worship together. Feel free to come join us for prayer.